I'm Monica Olson. And I'm Jennifer Walsh. And you're listening to the Biophilic Solutions Podcast, where every other week we sit down with experts and thought leaders across industries in order to explore the innate connection between humans and nature and why we need nature to thrive. We truly believe that in order to tackle the global environmental problems we're facing, we as humans must reconnect to the natural world and come to a better understanding of how we fit in and how we are so interconnected. So in every episode, we'll interview new guests that help us uncover and highlight nature-based solutions to get us on a path to greater health, tackling climate change, and ultimately getting outside and connecting with nature. So let's get to today's episode. Hey, Monica. Hey, Jennifer. All right. So, Monica, out of curiosity, would you consider yourself a climate change expert or are you more of a rookie or would you say you're somewhere in the middle? Well, I feel like that's a trick question. I uh, (laughs) guess after working on this podcast with you and just being generally interested in the environment and biophilia for so many years, I put myself somewhere in the middle. I would not claim expert status, but I think I know enough to be dangerous. (laughs) Yes. And I think I'm right there with you. Why do you say that's a trick question? Well, you know, I think climate change as a standalone concept is pretty easy for everybody to grasp. Like we understand the climate is changing. But once you start digging into all the contributing factors and the possible action steps, it starts to become pretty complex. And I think people get overwhelmed. So I would say I'm not a total rookie, but I may have more expertise in certain areas than others. Well, that makes total sense. So for anyone listening, if you're that person who wants to be more informed and wants to feel like you're doing your part for the sake of the planet, but you get overwhelmed by all the information out there, I think this is the perfect episode for you. Yeah, it absolutely is. So today we are talking to Paige Najam, a contributing writer for the Carbon Almanac which we talked about in our last episode as part of our holiday reading list. The Carbon Almanac is a very approachable, very thorough guide to climate change written and compiled by a network of hundreds of volunteers. And Paige actually wrote one of the opening sections, Climate Change for Rookies, which I really think lays the groundwork perfectly for the issues, how they function together to create a climate crisis, and what realistic and impactful solutions could look like. And she's also taken the Climate Change for Rookies and turned it into a children's book called Generation Carbon, which is free to download online and is also a valuable resource. We'll drop it in our show notes. It's for people of all ages. Uh, I couldn't agree more. We highly recommend both the Carbon Almanac and Generation Carbon because both are so informative and yet so easily digestible. One of the main things we talk about with Paige is amplifying your impact no matter where your talents lie. And she gives so many examples of how to do that. Yeah. And what's also interesting and something we should keep in mind is that Paige was a volunteer. So she took her own interest in writing and amplified her impact by applying it to this project and ultimately compiling and organizing her whole section for the Climate Rookies. Yeah, she was really fun to chat with. Quickly before we get into the interview, we wanted to let you all know that this will be our last episode of 2022. We're taking a break for the holidays, but we'll be back in mid-January with a whole new season and some really exciting guests lined up. All right, let's get to our interview with Paige Najame. Hey, Paige. How are you? Welcome to Biophilic Solutions. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here talking about my favorite subject. Good. It's our show. We are thrilled that you're here with us to share all your wisdom. So, Monica, we'll let you take it away. 
Yeah. So, Paige, we stumbled across the Carbon Almanac, which you are a contributing writer to, through an interview with Seth Godin. I think he was on a Vox interview, possibly, which was really good. We'll find it and drop it in our show notes. But I would love to know a little bit about, before we dig into the Almanac itself and how it is like selling books and you know what's going on there, tell us a little bit about your background. How in the world did you get into being a writer for the Carbon Almanac? Since you told me right before we started recording, your day job is to sell commercial paint projects to disparate things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's the thing about being 56. You get a chance to go back and maybe try something that you thought, well, maybe I should have done this with my life. And when Seth put out the call, he put out an email, or maybe it was on his blog that he was looking for writers. Well, that's what I've always wanted to do. And I thought, well, I can do this. And the funniest part about it was I really thought I was a climate change expert when I joined because I recycled. And I thought, oh, well, I recycle. Who better than me to help write this book? And so (laughs) we'll, we'll find out how funny that is in a second. But that's why I did it, because I've always wanted to write. And I do love writing. I love it. Now, is this something that you have been doing or is this more of something new in your career? Yeah, I have a blog, pagespage.net, and it's a small business blog and it's just thoughts about small business. Anytime I learn something, I try to throw it out there. So then what made you think about, you know, going in this direction? Like you talked about here you were, you love to write and you're interested in recycling. And then how did you stumble upon get into this place of, oh my gosh, this discovery, which I think is so also what we like to talk about in nature and biophilic design and biophilia. It's all about hope and discovery and exploration and just these kind of wow moments of, I need to share this with everybody because you get excited for what you learn. So is that kind of what happened to you or how did that happen? Yeah, it's exactly. So I got into the project, I applied, I got in. And initially I was writing articles sort of like all over the place. And what I realized in writing these articles was that everybody else on the project was much more schooled at this than I was. They were scientists and people with data backgrounds. And I just recycled, right? And so (laughs) that was my background in this. But I realized what a rookie I was. And the more I talked to other adults, kids really do know about this stuff. But as adults, we didn't learn this in school. So the mechanics of climate change escape a lot of adults who want to know about it, who know they should know about it, but really just never Googled it or learned it in school. And so my aha moment was I went to Seth and said, I think we need a section just for rookies. And I feel like I can write that because I'm five minutes ahead of that. I (laughs) Five minutes ago was a rookie. And I often say to people like, When I'm teaching somebody something in my own business, sometimes it's really hard for me to remember what it's like to be a rookie because I've been doing it for so long. But because I was just there, I could think, oh, well, I I kept thinking to myself, like, what does plastic have to do with all of this? And then we wrote a section on that. All these questions, I was sort of running them by my adult friends and they were interested in the answers. This is really interesting. So the book itself, just to give everybody, you know, everybody should go get this. It's the Carbon Almanac and it's an oversized publication. And I think people hear climate change and a book on climate change and their eyes roll back and they think it's going to be this dense, oh my God, I can't figure it out. But I was 
intrigued enough to go get it. And then once I got it, I was blown away by the accessibility. And to your point, you wrote the whole section, which is the second section in the book called Climate Change for Rookies, which is basically, I don't know, 30 pages of everything and like, what is climate change to what is a metric ton, facts and definitions, what is net zero, myths, truths, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just one section of the book. When you went to Seth and said, okay, I think we need a climate change for rookie section. Clearly he was responsive because it's in here, but that's super cool because it's almost written. I mean, I enjoy it because it's got like graphs and little, I don't know, they're not cartoons, but illustrations that makes it feel more like a workbook, maybe? I worked with an illustrator from England and Mishi was, Mishi Matthias, her strength was, or before she did this, she is an illustrator. Her strength is to take things that are complicated and make them simple. And how she sort of pitched to us that she could be a good illustrator for this section was that she does recipes without words. And in the Uh. kids book, which is Generation Carbon, we have one of those recipes. It has a few words, but we have a bean burger recipe in the kids book, which is downloadable for free. We wanted kids to be able to have access to this for free at thecarbonalmanac.org. And you'll see one of her illustrations of a recipe without words. And honestly, like when you see it, you think, why isn't everybody doing this? Because it's so clear what to do. I really, really love it. Were you able to meet some of the other writers and collaborators? Like, how did this whole thing come together? So he put out a call. It sounds like there was an application. You get accepted into the project. There's a whole list of contributors in the back of the book that's two pages. But how did it all come together? I mean, it is an incredible piece of work. We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer. Guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? (laughs) The Biophilic Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces. Yes. And I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So You can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at Serenby. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in Sarah B for the 6th Annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March 26th, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. Okay, so I think it was lightning in a bottle, right? So I'm not sure in the next thing I do, it will ever be this magical. 
But we came together, not in person. We did this completely digitally. And we used a platform. It was kind of like Slack, but it's called Discourse. And it's sort of like a complicated version of Slack. And it's a little overwhelming. And lots of newbies, including myself, just find it completely overwhelming at first. Even the young people on the project found it overwhelming, which I found really satisfying because I'm like, okay, good. It's not just (laughs) me. me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not just me. And so we all came together. And what would happen is somebody would put out a subject matter and somebody would say, I'll write it. And then we had a couple of people that were data viz people that were just amazing. This is what they do for a living, but they were volunteering their time as well. And they would make a chart and they would, you can't believe how much effort and thought went into the charts. And we would go around and around. It's not simple enough. Oh no, we can do that better. And that's how it happened. And so as a person that wanted to be a writer, that wasn't quite a writer at 56, the first time you put up your article it's nerve wracking, right? So you're like, Oh my God, here it is. Here's the thing I just wrote. Is it any good? And then we had people who like to edit, like you, everybody worked within their wheelhouse. So the editors came in. Then we had people that were just dedicated to the footnotes and fact checking. So we had fact checkers and everybody was a volunteer and we just kind of did it. And I'm not even sure how it got done in four months. Honestly, it was, it really was lightning in a bottle. Four months. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. And you're mentioning the footnotes, like every, I think it's every section, right? Has a little globe with a number. And in the front of the book, it's sort of like check our work, which I thought was kind of cool. That basically you're like, there's thousands of sources, like don't take our word for it. We've footnoted everything. And so you take that little number on your page or whatever section you're reading on, and then you drop it into the carbonalmanac.org slash whatever the number is. And it's got all this deeper information, which I think is so cool because if you want to go deeper on a specific topic, you can, but you don't have to. Yes. And lots of people do say that they really enjoy that. My dad especially enjoyed it. He keeps (laughs) talking about the footnotes and the footnotes. It was really hard to come up with that system. That was not something that was intuitive to us initially. I think it took about two months of back and forth. How are we going to do these footnotes? Because nothing in the book is new. It's just that we are putting those facts out there. Um, And so we really wanted to make sure people understand that we weren't making this up, that this was all really reliable sources. Yeah. And I love how it's broken down. So you've got an intro that says a bit of the why and what's going on, the rookie section, And then I really like, there's like, here's what's true. And that's broken out into any section you could think of. And then it goes into scenarios of like, what could happen, impacts, and then, which we love, solutions, right? Tons of solutions. And then one of the things that we always talk about is like, whose job is it to Mm -hmm. take care of this, right? And I think we could go back to plastic as recycling, like in your rookie section, I think you say, only 9% of all plastics are ever recycled. And that includes what's actively put into the bin. Isn't that stunning? Yeah, that's absolutely that is, stunning. It's stunning. So right? disappointing. Yeah. Yes. Essentially what you're doing apparently, and this is, we dug into this, is when you separate out your plastic, you're really just separating it out for the people to go either incinerate it or put it into a landfill. And so it is stunning that it was only what did I say? 9%? What did it say? 9%. Yeah, 9%. And that's the stuff that you are sorting out so actively. So 
of course you still want to do it right in case that and sure. of course aluminum and glass and cardboard and all that that's a different set but plastic is really broken right now so that needs to be fixed it's not something that we should stop doing it's just something that needs to be worked on so whoever you yeah. know when you say who's in charge again like my passion was writing and so here's yep. how i contributed if your passion is figuring this out great that could be your contribution you get so excited about this page because you are someone we've been wanting to talk about for talk to you for a while because that's one key thing we always talk about, like the oneness. So creating products and whatever, the oneness is on like the ownness, I should say, is on the person who bought the product to then separate it and break it down and deal with the right things when really we should be thinking about how do we create better products without the use of specific plastics. And and that's like what you're saying is the education is key. So we know what to do and what's being done. And how do we then find those people to make better, more effective use of plastics or whatever? Yeah, we have to know the facts, right? And so if you don't, if you didn't know that, then you wouldn't know that maybe you're the person to do it. And so the idea of this was to get people on the same page so that we start talking about it. Because you cannot talk about it if you're not confident about your facts, right? If you're like, oh, no, I think this might be it, but I'm not sure. Well, and you also have a really good little section that's make an impact. And it says, I guess it was the Imperial College of London ranked nine things people can do to make an impact on climate change. And they're not what you would think, right? No. The first one is not recycling. It's not turning your lights off. Those are all great things, you know, LED. But it says, make your voice heard by those in power. Like electing candidates committed to climate change initiatives and policies is considered one of the most effective ways to reduce emissions on a large scale. Yes, because it's huge. It's huge. So let me take that for an example. Okay. So I always say, or since I've been working this, I didn't always say this, but since I've been working on this project, we need to take individual actions and 10x them, right? So a lot of people hear that. And they say, well, that means I have to go stand out front on a bridge picketing for a green candidate. But maybe you're a great cook and you could make them lunch. You could make people lunch. You don't have to man the phone banks. You could do something else for the green candidate. So you can use your talents in a way that gets those people elected. You just have to kind of think about, right? They still, all those people need to eat lunch on the phone bank, but you don't have to be on the phone bank to make an impact. Yeah. We talk about what is your superpower? Right. Right. Jen? right. Yeah. So it's time. like, who knows? Like for you, writing became your superpower, right? And then obviously working with a team as well. And I really liked the number nine one is also talk about the changes you make, which is kind of what the whole book's about. And what we try to do all the time is it's really about education. So people can have the facts and some solutions and, or know that there's a problem so they can help come up possibly with their own solution and then let people know about it. Cause to your point, you talk to your friends and we all think we're doing a great job with climate change because we're cycling and we change the led lights in our house. hundred percent. We should be doing that. But And it feels funny too. Doesn't it kind of feel like not enough? So going back a year before I started working on this, I remember doing the recycling and thinking, huh, this doesn't feel like enough. But I also didn't want to run for office. Like I don't have. And so what was the in-between there, right? So the in-between is taking something you're passionate about and 10xing it. And what we mean by that on the Carbon Almanac team is, for example, if you are passionate about composting. 
Well, maybe you can keep composting yourself, but again, that doesn't feel quite enough, but maybe you could get your whole condo complex into composting or getting a composting service. That's how you 10X an individual action. My son, who worked on the kids book with me, he's doing his Eagle Scout project. And for his Eagle Scout project, he is doing something out of the kids book. He's working with the superintendent of our schools to hang signs that say, please don't idle while you're waiting for your kids. And if you go behind any school, people idle for 20 minutes. And so again, it's like, you just take this one little, little thing and he's just 10 xing it. And it's not hard. Nothing is hard. The, The superintendent was right on board. It turns out that the signs are free. Like if you just ask the right person, some organization sends them to you. So a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to be hard, but you could, you take what you're passionate about and just like make it a little bigger. And you must have given him agency to think, okay, my voice is valuable and I can make a difference just by that suggestion that you gave to my, and I love that you're right. It can be so simple, but it gives you that, that courage maybe to step up and say, Hey, I can do something as small as it might be, or as simple as we think it might be. It makes a difference. It all makes a difference. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. When you put together this section for rookies, how did you come up with the questions? They were questions I had. And I remember thinking, well, I know like plastic's a good example. I know plastic has something to do with this, but I, I had no idea that plastic is made of fossil fuels, right? And then when we, uh, yeah. we incinerate them, the gases that are released are causing the warming. So there's all sorts of ways plastics contribute, but I didn't know that. And so I thought, well, I'll just start with the questions that I have and then move from there. Yeah, no, I love that. What was your biggest surprise when you were writing this? Besides, you know, obviously we've talked about plastic a lot, but like What was the biggest aha for you that if you were going to tell somebody, what would it be? I think the idea that it really does need to be systemic change. I think that we all, it's so easy to think about individual actions without 10Xing them. And that's where it really needs to happen because what we're all doing isn't going to be enough. Right. So I think that that is the first thing. And then the second thing that really surprised me was I wasn't alone you know how you always think like, am I the only one that doesn't know this? I wasn't alone by far. People would come to my house and I'd ask them questions and they were not clear on climate change. A lot of people thought it had to do with the ozone layer. And so while that's a tiny, tiny piece of it, it really doesn't have much to do with it. And so they all knew that they needed to know it. But when I asked people that I knew, most people did not. In that vein, I have a question like, so what do you think the bit, because this whole conversation is around climate. So what do you think the barriers for people to understand climate change? Like what would the barriers be? Like, do we have to communicate them differently or better? Or what can we do better to really make that change? When I first started writing the book, there's a bunch of people at the Yale Center for Climate Communications that did a lot of studies about how scientists don't always communicate properly. And that there was a good example when a scientist says they have a theory about something, that's something that is 100% proven 100 times over. But as a person listening to it, I think, well, it's only a theory, right? And so there's sometimes a disconnect between what's being said and what's being heard. So I think that has to do with it a little bit. And that's what we really tried to do in the book was try to take all the jargon out 
and really make it very clear how this all happens and what we can do about it. I love that too, because we always talk about that words matter, no matter how we use those words and how big they are or how we perceive those words. Like you just said is, oh, it's just a theory, but really, yeah, that's such a good point. I love that. Yeah. And you talked about sort of like systems and it even like, this is in a different section, but there was like, what is an ecosystem? Right? Right. Again, we hear all these terms. Like I was on a call yesterday with somebody, we're talking about biomimicry. And she was talking about ecological services. I don't know what that is. But, you know, as she explained it, she went on to explain how you can provide ecological services even by building a building. Right. But that's going to be a lot more explanation to get there. And so I think understanding the words is a start and understanding how it's a system and how everything's interrelated. And that's a big thing that we try and talk about with biophilia is everything's connected. Yes, We're part of the system and we have been trained out of that somehow. We've been told, and that's part of like, we're in our homes and we're separate from nature and the most of the things that we do all day, right? What is it, Jen? 95% of our time is spent indoors. And so we think that we're not part of a system, but we are. And so we think that that's the first step for people to understand your impact within that system. But I really like the 10X idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it makes it really clear, right? Like, so systemic change, again, sounds so big. It sounds like you have to run for office. And no, you don't. You just have to get your grocery store to not use plastic. Use, I think Trader Joe's uses like cornstarch produce bags oh, that, interesting. that okay. are truly compostable. Because if you look okay. on some of them, there's a little bit of what's called greenwashing, where it's like... Yeah. So they'll say like only compostable in certain areas with certain (laughs) machinery or something like that. And it's like, okay, well, that's not really compostable, but that's all you have to do. You have to just get your local grocery store to change the bags. And that's, look at the impact you've just made all those people all the time with those bags. Now you can carry your own bags and you should, but if you bring it to the systemic level, it's just 10xing what you're already doing. And then going back to the ecosystem, that is something One thing that is so interesting about this, you talk about like we all have an effect, but it doesn't feel like we do. This is a almost completely invisible problem. If you got in your car every day and fire came out of the muffler, you'd know that you were doing harm to something, right? Yeah. But it's invisible, right? You drive your car. It doesn't seem like you're doing anything, anything wrong. It doesn't feel like it. And at one point I was talking to my mother-in-law And actually, it wasn't me. It was my son. And he was saying to her, when you use your hairdryer, you're releasing carbon. And she was so confused. And she did not understand that no fire was coming out of the hairdryer, but the electricity was generated at a plant that was far away. And it was maybe a coal plant, right? It was not likely a solar or a wind plant. It was more likely a, a solar plant. So so do you see how it's so invisible? Like you're using your hairdryer and nothing. You're just like, I'm just using my hairdryer. Yeah. As I was going through, because I'm super interested in the built environment. So I was looking at a bunch of the like green steel, low carbon concrete, et cetera, et cetera. But I came across, and I'm just going to see if I can find it again. On page 91, heating the outdoors with patio heaters. What in the world? So 
it's like right next to the gas powered blowers, which I knew about oh, uh, yeah. because we've been trying to phase them out in our community and how bad those what is it single stroke engines are. But next to it was heating the outdoors with patio heaters, which of course, I don't want to say of course, but like we have a patio heater. There are like in almost every restaurant with COVID, everybody's wanted to be outside. So I was reading how like patio heater sales have like went through the roof in like 2021, 22. But that was really interesting about how much those propane heaters put out basically carbon and how you can move to electric, which I thought was interesting. And that France, that Lyon Lyon in France is banning them. So it's just sort of interesting, like something that I kind of thought is an innocuous item. But then once you think about it, like, oh yeah, there's that canister full of propane. So what are these things that we're sort of doing every day or every restaurant has? And so, again, thinking about policies on a city level to have them change to maybe all electric. I mean, granted, you still have like the hairdryer, electricity still flowing through it. Yeah, but that's a exactly. much lower impact than the gas or propane ones. But isn't that that was crazy to me to learn about that one? Well, it's fascinating too, Paige, because, you know, you're doing all this work and I have a question. Did your life change a lot or a little bit once you started really diving in further and saying, oh my, your eyes are open, just like our eyes are open and you can't unsee (laughs) what you learned. So how did did your life change? What did you do differently after you were really kind of diving into this work? Starting with my company, we've always used hybrid vehicles for our sales vehicles. It's not as easy for the painting vans. But as soon as those are available, we will change them as we go through the vans and need more. So that's the first thing. So look, if you don't think you can make a change, but you know the person that buys the cars for your company, you could suggest that. That would be 10xing it. The other thing we started doing was, this is kind of small, but it's more powerful than you think. In our software, we are defaulting to the same white paint for, because it's a painting company, the same white paint for trim for everybody. And that way we can buy in much bigger quantity, which is a better price. And it's not like hundreds of cans of paint that then need to be recycled. And so we're trying to buy that in the largest container that we can and then using it all, right? So if I don't use it all on one job, we have another job that would need exactly that same color. And so of course we would, if the customer doesn't want that white paint, it's no problem, but we default to that when they want white. So those are two things that we've done in our office. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you just can't unsee this stuff after you see it. But the first part is seeing it, right? Really understanding it and then going, oh my goodness. I think my mom, I wrote the kids book with a bunch of people as well. And that came out of the rookie section. And we, Carbon Almanac had gone to press and I thought, I still have some juice left in me. And (laughs) I knew that a lot of the stuff from the rookie section could be translated for kids. So we started working on the kids book and my mom took the kids book at one point. It was, you know, we had like a galley of it on the kitchen table and she read it and said, I now go to the supermarket and it's so upsetting when I see all those plastic bags and she gets it now. Right. But until she knew that she should be upset or why she should be upset, she didn't know. And she wasn't getting upset. And I think that's a great point. So the kids book is called, is it Carbon Generation? Yeah, Generation Carbon. 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 Okay. And so that's a kids book. And so you can buy it or you could download it, right? Like there's two ways to get it, right? But you also have a podcast that goes with it. Now, are you involved in that podcast at all? Because I listened to a few of those 
before we got on today, which I like listened to like the most recent one, which is about dinosaurs, which was really fun. And they're just about 18 minutes, really fun. Kids are on it. There's like a couple characters, like in this one, there was a bird and a sloth. (laughs) <laughs> that we're also talking but it talked about why did the dinosaurs go extinct basically right right but then right. it educated you on a bunch of different things and there was a cute little kid that came on and talked about like fallacies of the jurassic period that it technically isn't the jurassic period and it was he was really cute so i really enjoyed that like you know i think sometimes we can poo poo things because we think they're not for us but i would hugely encourage reading to your point your mom had takeaways from the kids book. Yeah. What are you seeing? So when you finished up with the almanac and that portion, you came back to them and said, there needs to be a kid's book. So tell us about that. And is that where the podcast came from too? Yeah. So I think a couple of us or a lot of us still had juice in ourselves after the carbon almanac itself had gone to the publisher last February. So between February and July, that's kind of a long time. And we, we all, February, it was due, like our final draft was due. And then in July, it was actually published. So I went to Seth and said, I want to do a kid's book. And he was like, all right, whatever. That's fine. Like not really. And he, he'll admit that, right? Like he, he didn't know what we were going to make of it. And at first it was going to be like 12 pages and it was really going to be just the rookie section, maybe in color. And we would just change the words around a little bit. But as we got deeper and deeper into it, first of all, I worked with 90 people who helped write the book and everybody had such great ideas that we couldn't say no to them, right? Each idea was better than the next. And so Mishi, the illustrator on the rookie section, she had the hardest job because she was the only person that could illustrate, whereas the rest (laughs) of us could write. And so that was really divided, but hers was, we needed a picture on every page and she really came through on that. And so then Jennifer, so see how it is like you 10X what you're good at. Jennifer has a podcast of her own. And so she knows podcasting. And so she got a team together, taught them everything she knows. And they have, I don't know, like 40, 50 episodes. So at, I think there's three different types of podcasters. Like there's a bunch of stuff. So people just like took what they were passionate about and ran with it. And there's even like an email that goes out every day to a bunch of people. So you can sign up for that for free on the website. Here's another fun thing. After the kids book was done, people started to approach us because this is a worldwide, everybody, it was a like a worldwide volunteer group. It wasn't just in the United States. And so people would say like, can I, do you mind if we translate this into Dutch? And I'm like, I guess. Oh my God. Um, so amazing. Wow. It took on, like, I wasn't even doing anything anymore, but it kept growing. And so we're now, we have 19 languages that can be downloaded wow. off of the website. And each language for us, it was we want to make it spreadable. Seth is a marketer. So the yeah. idea yep. is to spread the word here. And so the more languages you can put in any of this information in, the more spreadable it is. It really is interesting. And, and what we're finding is that foreign language teachers are using them, like even in American classrooms, like a French teacher would use this as a book that teaches both the science and the French. There's a, one of the versions is in English, but it's in a font that is really, really much easier to read if you have a reading disability. And so one of the team members that had dyslexia got the font donated because who would know that you need to buy a font, but you do. And they got the font donated by Dyslexia Font. And it's now in Dyslexia Font. So reading specialists have a really hard time finding books in Dyslexia Font because it's quite expensive to make them. And now Uh, ours is free. It just took on a life of its own. Yeah. So talk about 
the business model. So everybody was a volunteer. Hundreds of writers, researchers, thinkers, illustrators all came together. But now there's an email and there's podcasts. And is there a team that's being paid or are this continuing no. to be a volunteer? Yes. I think the only person that was paid was a, like a professional editor at the end of the Carbon Almanac, where we really needed like people to have eyes on it and make sure that what we were saying was true. And it was grammatically correct. And we had fact checkers and editors up to that point. So I don't think it was a big job. Everybody else is not paid all of the money. The book does cost money that both the kids book, if you buy it in paperback or the carbon almanac itself does cost money. But then what we do is we take the money and we buy books to donate to schools and libraries and stuff like that. So it's sort of like a a flywheel. The more books we sell, the more we can donate, the more the word spreads. That's so incredible. It's so yeah, It's so exciting. I mean, Monica and I, again, we talk about this all the time, Paige. So in your work, it's just because again, it's all about hope. So what do we do together to make that wheel, like that wheel bigger and bigger and bigger to share that knowledge? And it's exciting. What are you most excited about for not just yourself, but your work going forward right now? What's tricky about the project is that it really was lightning in a bottle. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to recreate that in any other project that I do. So I'm staying with this project. And what's so interesting is that when you release a book into the world, even with a name like Seth Godin, who's sold hundreds and you know millions of copies of his own books, even with that name, the book requires a sales team and marketing and a lot of scaffolding to keep it out in the world. And you have to do podcasts like this to get people to know about it. So people yeah. in my mind, again, like I wanted to learn how to do this because I thought, well, maybe I wanted to be a writer back in my twenties. Maybe I should have done this. So it really is not much different than, like I said, a paint job right. selling anything. You need to get the word out that this even exists. Putting it out there on Amazon doesn't do it. Yeah, no, you have to be hitting the pavement. And it's interesting because I had heard about it. And then I guess it was the Carbon Connection had approached us. And that was such a wonderful kismet to repurpose one of our podcasts that was on economics, like how do you value the earth or carbon? And so that was really exciting. I love that, that that's kind of a fun Carbon Connection repurposes different podcasts, which is a brilliant way to also get the word out. So we were super appreciative. And so that's how we got connected with you. But are all of the collaborators then kind of consider themselves representatives? I mean, some of them are going to be more comfortable doing interviews and stuff, but how is that marketed? Like, how is that broken up? Or is it just, well, who wants to take this podcast? Like, how is that done? For the podcast, I work a little bit on the podcast stream. And so I will ask people like so-and-so needs a guest and we'll put people on that podcast. A lot of them I take because nobody wants them and that's fine with me. People really stay in their sweet spot. And I guess that's what's really fun about it, right? So like what job did you ever have that was 100% sweet spot? None, yeah. right? There, there. Yeah. Whatever you did from an entry level job all the way up, there's problems that come across your desk, and you're not in your sweet spot. But every one of us just stays in our sweet spot. So, like the data visualization people are incredible. I could never do yeah. that job, but in my no. real life, I might have to do that job because it's like, well, I might have to do this for my own business. But we're yeah. all in our sweet spot. So I stayed with writing. I stayed with the podcast. 
I also work to onboard people to the project onto discourse to make that a little bit easier. And I put nice. together little kits that make it like, go here, go here, start here on the board to make it a little easier for people not to be so overwhelmed because we don't want yes. people coming on. We want them to stay and show us their sweet spot. Right, right. So as you're going out and doing, I was thinking back to Generation Carbon, you guys added to it. And so what are some of the aspects that like are great people should look for in that book, the Generation Carbon for the kids? What are some of the best things in there that expand on the rookie section for adults? There's one page that people, there's two pages that people point to. One is, it's one of the first pages and it was written by one of the children on the Carbon Almanac. And it's called Just Start. I think it's called Just Start. And what it says is it's not going to be perfect. And we don't need it to be perfect for us to start. And it's just so, I don't know, would you like me to read it to you? Yeah, I would love that. So it's called Just Start. Our earth doesn't need you to be perfect. It just needs you to start. Until somebody builds a plastic-free helmet, you'll need to wear a plastic one when you ride a bike or play football. Even though natural gas heats your town swimming pool, you should still have fun swimming in it. If you have to take an airplane because there's no other way to get there, don't worry. Fixing everything won't happen for a while. Kids should just do their best and teach adults what they know in the meantime. And so that has been a page that actually like it's pulled out on Amazon as like look inside. And that's like one of the most quoted pages that we do have. That's so beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love that. Yeah, because I think that there's a lot of guilt, right? Like, oh, I'm wearing a plastic helmet when I ride my bike. Well, you don't have a choice, right? Like right now we don't have other kinds of helmets that are better for the earth. So just wear the plastic one. You're going to have to do that. Don't feel guilty about that if there's no other way, but you can start. And I was doing a talk at our local library and somebody said, well, aren't electric vehicles, like when you plug them in, might the electricity still come from a coal plant? Well, yeah, it might. But we have to start somewhere. And if we wait till it's perfect, we'll never get started. And we will really be in a pickle. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing that I we've talked about and have been wanting to bring somebody on to talk about it is sort of that eco-anxiety is trying to get people to back away from that because it can be overwhelming. And I think that quote that you did about just start with the kids is what we all need to think about and not let it be a barrier. Let it be anything we're doing is good. Yeah. And if we start asking all those questions, oh, what you to your point, like electric, oh, well, I plug it in and the coal plant's doing it or the car's made out of plastic or the helmet, but it's like nothing is perfect. And so we have to make incremental change. And if we don't do that, then we're not going to get anywhere. So what's next? You're onboarding people. You've got the children's book. Obviously you're doing interviews, which is fantastic. We actually promoted the book as one of our picks for holiday gifting. Oh, thank you um, so much. Oh, thank you. That's It just came out today. Do you see how it spreads, right? So like we tried to make something really good that people would want to spread. And so that's how it spreads. So thank you for that. It's very digestible and easy and so full of so much knowledge. So impactful. Yeah, I think that the almanac format is kind of cool too, because if you're young, you probably have never picked up the old Guinness Book of World Records. But do you remember you you'd get that and then every year you get it and you could just open to any page 
and sort of know what the record was. It's the same kind of thing. You can open to any page and sort of learn something and then close the book and then open to another page another time. You don't have to read it cover to cover. No. And that was what was so cool about it. And so we're working on composting, educating our residents right now. And we've done a number of communication, but we're going to expand that on the website. And so even this, I'm like, oh, I should just basically pick this up, reference it, and then also utilize your footnotes. Because I assume that that's exactly what you want people to do is use it as a reference guide. Absolutely. To me, I think for the people who are really curious, this is such a great gift. So we're thrilled. And we're thrilled to have you. You are wrapping up our season with us too. Oh my Which God, is super exciting. What an honor. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. So we're thrilled, thrilled to have you, Paige. And now you're part of the biophilic movement. And we love to have you on and look forward to having you back and find out what's going on maybe in another six months. But this is fantastic. Anything we can plug separately? How can we contact you? How do we sign up for the newsletter? Yeah. Oh, that's good. So if you go to the carbonalmanac.org, everything's right there. So up in the right-hand corner, you can sign up for the email called The Daily Difference. And then if you go to extras, there's all sorts of free resources. And let me point out one that is not talked about very much, but should be. It's called Connect the Dots. And what you can do is you can say, I'm interested in this subject. And then you click on that. And it will give you small things you can do, medium things you can do, and large things that you can do to help in that area. Um, It's really, it's like such a great tool. And so it's right under extras on that website. I love it. So many of the books we read are so dense and they're fantastic, but they're just not accessible. Like you really got to put in the time for a deep dive. And I just think that this is for everybody. So thank you for all of your work that you put in for this. Really exciting. I loved every minute. Good. Paige, I so appreciate your time today and helping us close out the the year with you. It's kind of fantastic. We are thrilled to have you today. So thanks so much, Paige. Thank you. So first off, I loved talking with Paige about all her fascinating work with the entire network of the Carbon Almanac and just how the book came together. But also the examples she gives of how a 10x your impact or 10xing your impact just feels really doable to me. So for example, I might compost and feel that's an easy way for me to contribute. But what if there was a way to use that knowledge to begin a larger composting effort, such as getting your apartment to compost or your entire workplace? You know, there's ways to amplify your impact while also building community. Exactly. Take what you're good at and what you like and get creative with how you can use those talents to contribute. I love the example she gave of cooking for people who are phone banking. Like maybe I don't see myself on the front lines of an election canvassing and phone banking. But if I believe in the issues and I know that electing climate friendly candidates is the number one way to create change, there are still ways to contribute no matter what. Exactly. And, you know, I love the quote she read from Generation Carbon about just getting started. You don't have to feel guilty every time you start your combustion car engine or get on an airplane, but you should start getting knowledgeable about what the issues are and where you can make a difference. Imagine where we would be if everyone took the things they're already doing on an individual level and make an effort to amplify it by 10x. Exactly. Don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. To Paige's point, if we wait for everything to be perfect, we won't get anywhere. So just start. Okay, I feel like that's a perfect note to end on. We highly encourage everyone to head to our show notes, grab a copy of The Carbon Albinoc. It really breaks things down in such a digestible way. Lots of graphs, lots of pictures, and also would make a great holiday gift. We promise.
<laughs> I agree. And we'll be back in about a month with season three. So for now, goodbye, Monica. Bye, Jennifer. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star rating and please leave us a review. It really goes such a long way towards helping us reach a wider audience and sharing these amazing interviews and solutions with the world. Absolutely. So thanks so much for following and reviewing the podcast. And we'll be back with another amazing interview in two weeks. You're now a part of the Biophilic Movement. 